Hello, everyone. This is Saqib with another episode of Tennis with an Accent. I'm joined by a uh, good friend, Andrew Burton, uh, who's been uh, generous enough with his time for Tennis with an Accent. Welcome, Andrew. Hey, how are you doing, Saqib? Uh, so, yeah, plenty to talk about because uh, we did a bunch of small interviews when I was in Miami, but an actual podcast hasn't been done for a while. So, uh, maybe we can uh, take this opportunity to talk about the Sunshine Double, how the swing unfolded for, you know, uh, some players and what are the takeaways and, you know, what's lying ahead with, with the clay season starting uh, in Houston for the men and the women are already playing on Hartrew in uh, Charlestown. So, uh, yeah, Indian Wells seems like a few weeks away when Federer and Del Potro engaged in, the, in that final. But leading up to that, what were your some of the takeaways you had in the tournament on the men's side? Well, so the... The first thing to say is that this year the men's hard court has been affected by injuries and withdrawals. So Nadal, unfortunately, uh, had to withdraw after attempting to, to get fit to play in Acapulco, but then decided that, that he was going to withdraw and uh, prepare for clays. Murray is out, obviously. Uh, Stan Wawrinka wasn't able to play. Uh, Songa has, we now know, gone through knee surgery. So several of the the old guard top players weren't available. Uh, one who was coming back from surgery was Novak Djokovic. And I think that a lot of people watched his first match, first of all with anticipation and then with, with a growing amount of bemusement because it, it seemed to me that Taro Daniel was was almost um, a perfect start for Djokovic, someone who would give him some rhythm, someone who would uh, likely not push him around too much. Uh, and, and we saw Novak serve for a first set, uh, seemingly in third gear, then somehow start to fall away, lose the first set in a tie break, come back to win the second set, and then really the third set didn't really seem to happen for Novak. So, uh, so that, that was a surprise right out of the gate. Um, Federer seemed to, to make his way through the draw pretty uh, cleanly until he ran into Borna Cioric in a very interesting semifinal. Um, I think that's one that, that, Chorich probably sat down with his coach afterwards and said, I'm not quite sure how that one got away. Um, Del Potro came through uh, on the other side of the draw, um, taking on Raonic in the semifinal in, and, and dealing with Raonic quite comfortably, I think. So then we had a very entertaining uh, Federer-Del Potro match, uh, a little bit salty at times, um, but some some really good tennis. And at the end of that match, it was Federer saying, yeah, I don't know quite how that one got away, given that uh, he had uh, three match points, served the match, couldn't get it done. And at the end of the day, Del Potro uh, received a long overdue first Masters 1000 trophy. And I think a very popular one. Yeah, absolutely. I don't disagree with a lot that he's already said. And I'd just like to add Milos Raonic. You know, uh, he built on like a couple of solid tournaments back to back. 
And in both tournaments, uh, coming up short against Juan Martin Del Potro, who's been pretty much the informed player of the last month. And uh, just an interesting uh, information I would like to share. I don't know if Ivan Isevich is it official because when I spoke to Raonic in Miami and he said it's still on trial basis because in Delray he had Bjorkman and in uh, uh, Miami and Indian Wells he had Ivan Isevich. So uh, let's see what the news comes out of the Raonic game. Uh, if it's official that this is the partnership that's going to take him forward. And another thing that's been pretty consistent in the last year and a half on the men's side is uh, injury and form. So Raonic has been injured and now looks like he's walking through that door again. And he could be a factor if health is on his side and he builds some momentum for Wimbledon. So that was one of my takeaways, uh, just adding on to what you said. And same for Chorich. I was pretty exciting. Uh, it's pretty excited to see him play in Miami and got a chance to speak with him briefly. And he said, yeah, it's just everything is solid and they're working with PRT, you know, with the just, you know, step by step to keep, you know, the bigger picture there. And he said that Federer match taught him a lot. So, uh, but the big news is, again, like you mentioned, is Novak Djokovic. And not only did he lose very unceremoniously, very non-Djokovic-like in Miami to Benoit Paire, but today the news is official uh, for Sandra Agassi. Almost a few days ago, so, cited the reasons that uh, he's not continuing as coach of Novak Djokovic. And now Radek Stepanek announcement. So not that, you know, uh, you know, we have to get into what's going on without really anything come from, coming from Novak himself. But these were like two big additions uh, that were spoken of. And, you know, it was a revamped team and a new look team. And then also Craig O'Shaughnessy, part of that uh, new think tank. And now uh, we don't know what to make of Djokovic. Is it still the injury? Is it uh, uh, he's struggling to find motivation? Uh, I think it's pretty safe to sit on the fence, but definitely it's not the Novak we've seen. Like, I think you were telling me, offline that this is the first time in more than 10 or 11 years he's lost three matches in a row. So uh, what's your talk on that situation? I know not, not much has been given out uh, publicly by Novak and his team, but uh, what's uh, what's the temperature check according to you? Yes, I think that, that it was very surprising the way that the news broke on Friday at Miami, uh, broken by the ESPN commentary team, uh, with three sentences from Agassi, uh, essentially talking about having really wanted to have helped Novak succeed, but often finding that they were agreeing to disagree. And then nothing came out from Djokovic himself uh, for a few days, except for a photograph of uh, him on holiday with his family in Puerto Rico. Uh, or the Dominican, no, I think, I think it's the Dominican Republic, sorry. And then, as you say, today, the news that uh, Stepanek, who hadn't been in Miami, had uh, apparently had uh, family issues with his wife, um, Nicole Vidasova, who's expecting their child, um, that Stepanek was no longer part of the team as well. So... I think the surprising thing was not that the players and coaches sometimes don't click. We know that that happens. But that there wasn't an announcement from Djokovic himself at the time. And the, the, the language that was used, the language that was used today, was fulsome in praise of, of Radek Stepanek and his relationship with Djokovic. And then a very short... Yeah, that 
the relationship with Agassi had ended. So, so very clearly a signal that the the relationship with Agassi hadn't ended that well, and 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 this sort of sense that that the firm control that you'd expect someone who's been at the top of the men's game to have over their coaching situation and their future path, that firm control doesn't seem to be there at the moment. Yeah, let's uh, let's keep uh, following the story as it's probably going to unfold or they'll, they'll be more revealed once again when Novak takes, uh, takes on the court. He's still entered in Monte Carlo. Uh, and uh, let's focus on the winner here, Juan Martin. Yes, and, and, and to be absolutely... Let, let me just finish on, on the Djokovic story for a second. So no one, I think, I hope, is is looking at Novak Djokovic and saying, that's it, um, he's not going to be a force in 2018, he's not going to be a force at Grand Slams and Masters in the future. Novak Djokovic hasn't forgotten how to play tennis. The main question is, how does he regain the trust in his body and his mind so that he's able to play tennis through whole tournament swings the way that he has done in the past? The the sense that I had when I was watching him both at Indian Wells and at Miami, was that he didn't trust his body and that he hadn't gotten to a place where he was able to do that and and to react in instance and to push himself as hard as he possibly could, knowing that his body and his mind would be there. And, and so I anticipate Djokovic being able to push through this but I don't know when that's going to be. And that's going to be one of the stories of 2018. Yeah, and I mean, he's known for his mental fight. He's one of the, I think, toughest guys uh, ever to hold a racket. I mean, in terms of mental reserve, and this is definitely uh, a fight, you know, he probably is going to be up for it sometime. And uh, let's just hope, you know, there's more positive news coming from there because uh, we cannot doubt a guy like him who's been such a proven champion. But again, I was in Miami. I saw that match against Pair, at least the first set. I couldn't believe what happened after three all. I wanted to ask him that in the press conference. But again, I had another commitment. And by the time I entered, the Djokovic presser was in motion. I couldn't get my recorder. I was at the back of the room. So the, the mood was pretty somber there. He was uh, making short work of the answers. And uh, I think uh, the media respected that. He was gracious enough to come and talk to us. But yeah, so... Uh, let's keep following the story, like I said, as a you know, play season unwinds. Uh, Juan Martin Del Potro, however, you know, has checked one box, which was long due uh, for a caliber a player of his caliber. He finally won a Masters 1000. He's one of those guys who had a major and took him another nine years to get here. Not that he didn't play some finals, but he was down a few match points, and uh, it was something similar to, I guess. Uh, the Djokovic uh, semifinals against Federer, you know, when uh, he didn't want to lose to, I think, the big three or these kind of guys at the at the same juncture. Of course, Federer had a drop shot at a match point, which he didn't speak much about. But uh, what do you make of Del Potro's, uh, I don't want to call it comeback because he's been back on the tour for almost now 16 or 18 months, but he's been very selective in his uh, scheduling. He's listening to his body. His backhand is again, you know, seeming like somewhat the backhand of old. So, What's that story and what is your assessment 
our joke, uh, Del Potro uh, is going to have a run for the clay or the other big tournaments this year? Well, I, w- I would be marking Del Potro's stock up for the clay, but for the fact that after the Miami tournament, he said he was going to need some rest and he was likely to play an abbreviated season on the clay um, because he, 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 he finds it harder to move on the surface. Big guy just says that, that it, it's harder for him to um, to push himself on clay now at, at, at that age. So I thought that he had a superb first quarter to the year. He seemed like he was running on fumes in Miami um, when he uh, went out to Isner. I thought Isner played really well, but I, I wasn't I wasn't totally shocked to see that Del Potro lost to Isner. I was stunned by the by Isner's performance in that semifinal. The first set that Isner played against Del Potro may have been the best set of tennis I've seen uh, Isner play at one stage in that first set. He had hit 15 winners and Del Potro had hit zero. I mean, it was, Isner was just completely in the zone. It was what I call sea ball, hit ball. And he was hitting forehands, backhands, not just the serves that, that we know. He was hitting return winners. Um, so I, not just Del Potro. I think any of the top players in form would have struggled with John John Isner in that, in that form. So Del Potro, magnificent first start first quarter of the season and I I expect him to play at least one clay master warm-up tournament and to play Roland Garros and you know you never know if if Vavrinka has a hard job coming back uh if Nishikori isn't quite there if Novak Djokovic is still trying to regain his way back to form if Rafael Nadal is still having a few odd issues with his body. You never know. It could be Del Potro's time. Yeah, even uh, when he, I think, uh, I got a chance to speak with him in one of the pressers and I had the same question. I asked Roger, you know, uh, what's your schedule for clay? And he just pretty much said what he said later on in Miami that, uh, you know, he would play, you know, a reduced schedule, but uh, something that's going to be similar to last year, but he's not exactly sure. Uh, another interesting point uh, on a very relative note is uh, Argentina has uh, the Argentina Open, which is a 250 clay event. It gets good clay court attendance from, you know, some of the top players. And he's a significant absentee in that tournament too. I know he's been injured for a while, but I don't remember him playing the tournament long time ago. Maybe he hasn't played. So that's something, you know, I would like to reach out offline to someone who knows why uh, a home country, you know, which is obsessed with tennis, has the only big tournament and their best player uh, takes a pass. Mm. Uh, maybe it is Clay. Maybe yeah. Uh, I just want to get to get to know that answer. What because he's he's been starting his season in Delray Beach for the last two years. So that's maybe another conversation. But I wanted to uh, put it out there. Uh, so let's talk about Isner. Uh, you said he was remarkable in that first set. Uh, it's uh, he's he's another guy like we've been talking offline. How he's such a great best of three player. Than major, so you think uh, this style uh, and this success? Uh, do you see any? You know, can can he build upon this? If he's he's been runner up before three times and made few semis uh, all over the year on uh, Masters one thousand level surfaces 
irrespective of. I think he's played a clay final two at some point. So, uh, what, what do you make of this uh, run? Is, is it too late in his career? Because I know players are playing old. Uh, do you expect him to build on this? I don't know. I think, I mean, Isner in his first three finals played uh, Federer, Nadal and Murray, not necessarily in that order in his three Masters finals. So so taking on uh, Sasha Zverev, who, who is an obvious player for the future, still possibly you know, half a run down on, on the three that he played in the finals. And he wasn't quite as on song in the match against Zverev as he had been against Del Potro. Um, but I think his confidence ought to, you know, particularly when you move into the, the hard court swing uh, in the summer, um, you could see Isner potentially um, picking up a hard court tournament or maybe one of the indoor tournaments. I know that, uh, uh, he, he, he's made an indoor final at the Masters level. I think Isner is another of those players who, as he gets older, you don't necessarily expect him to, certainly not to go deep in, in five-set matches. Um, but I think that this was a reward for a lot of perseverance. And, and as you said, his three-set record has been a lot better than his five-set record. And maybe he was due. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely, he answered the bell there in, in big time. You know, fine. Uh, it, we are living in a time where there's some sort of a depleted field with some of the usual names missing. But I think in terms of quality, you have to give credit to Isner in terms of the field he went through then uh, something what Jack Sock did to win in Bercy a few months ago. Uh, and then uh, uh, the other takeaways uh, for me in this tournament were uh, Diego Schwartzman and uh, the kind of following this guy has from the Argentine media. Uh, I was fortunate enough to see some of his matches, especially his match against Nicolas Sherry. I think that reminded me in a weird way uh, of uh, Hewitt versus Marat Safin kind of a match how he absorbed the big man's pace and power and redirected and used his footwork. And uh, Jerry kept hitting, you know, a lot of shots in a rally, which would be winners by his admission. But then Schwartzman, uh, you know, showed why he's going to be one to watch, at least for the clay season for me. He's definitely spearheading the short list. Uh, and then uh, uh, another takeaway was how we sometimes take injuries for granted. And maybe you can speak at length to uh, David Goffin. I didn't get a chance to talk to him, but his performance clearly showed there's a lot of work to be done and uh, not sure where he is physical health-wise, but it was at least good for him to get out on, the, on, on a match court after that unfortunate injury against uh, Dimitrov. Yeah, his, uh, I saw his match and his timing was, was, was clearly off, which you could expect if he's had vision issues and, and perhaps wasn't picking up the ball quite as quickly. Um, yeah, he's Goffin is one of these players who appears a little bit snake bit. The the eye injury was was just a freak incident, and again, you never know if he if he gets into a run of form, he potentially could go deep in, in the French Open. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, again, the tennis in the last uh, two tournaments and even Acapulco, Kevin Anderson name is another name that continues to make, uh, you know, steady uh, strides in the right direction. Uh, I don't know if he's a factor on clay. How, how, how would you see the next few months for him? And then is he in your, on your short list to do well at Wimbledon, given what he's shown so far this year? Um, I don't think so. Um, I, but then I, he, he certainly wasn't on my short list to, to do well in the final major of last year, the U.S. Open. Um, I think that he's someone who, if he makes the quarterfinals, has had a pretty good run. But there's... He, he just doesn't do – he's a little bit like uh, the other semifinalist at Miami, uh, Pablo Carreño Busta, you know, very steady player, uh, isn't going to beat himself, um, but really lacks the firepower, I think, to, to punch his way through the draw, particularly if he's going to come up against one of the top players who, who isn't carrying a nick on the day. Right, so uh, let's make this, uh, you know, into a segue for what's up, uh, ahead uh, on the tennis calendar, which is the clay season. Uh, so uh, are there any, you know, players who have left impression on you or someone that played really well last year on clay, like a Dominic team? Uh, who, who are the main challenges uh, in your mind uh, to Rafa Nadal's throne? And we don't know what state of health Rafa is, but, you know, he's been such a constant. So... Let's talk about others who could, you know, who could cause problem to his, you know, his uh, dominant uh, performance in this stretch. Yeah, it's uh, at the moment it's very, very hard to to pick against Nadal in any tournament that he enters on clay, provided that he's healthy. Um, Sasha Zverev uh, won the Rome. Masters 1000 last year, became the um, the youngest player to win a Masters 1000. So he's got pedigree, but he's always struggled to go deep in uh, the five-set tournaments. Uh, you mentioned uh, Diego Schwarzman, who I think is a, um, a bit of a dark horse. Another person that we haven't talked about is Hyun Chung, who appears to have... Uh, started to think about scheduling um, is starting his clay season a little bit later this year. So, uh, you know, Chung is another one who, who, who stock is on the rise, I would say. No, definitely. I agree. He's also on my short list if there is one. And then of course, uh, Nicholas Jarry is another guy to keep a, keep a tab on for sure. Not sure if you can, if we can put him in, in the, in the favorite uh, or second tier favorite list, I think he's definitely in the in the dangerous list. And then uh, I think uh, it's worth keeping an eye on, you know, Borna Chorich as well. Uh, how you know this new partnership with PRT and this new, you know, uh, new build game, which is you know pretty solid already. And uh, let's see how he progresses. And uh, of course, uh, you know, news from uh, the Nadal camp will be the most keenly followed news because that's where. Uh, I think the road to the championship will go through Nadal if he's healthy. So let's uh, keep tabs on you know, you know th- those factors. 
how how's the WTA according to you? I know you haven't uh, if you have followed enough to to you know to assess who who could be in the shortlist because it's, it seems uh, very evenly uh, fought right now at the top. Even though it's wide o- open, but then the big names are delivering you know a lot of consistent performances. Yeah, so I, I took a quick look at the the players who made the semi-final or final at the three biggest tournaments so far, the Australian Open, Indian Wells, and Miami. And apart from Simona Halep, um, nobody uh, on the WTA side uh, played in more than one semi-final. Uh, in those three tournaments. Uh, The main takeaway I had from Indian Wells and Miami is Serena Williams is back on tour, but she's not back to her best, which wouldn't be surprising. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, Youth was served uh, at both of the two U.S. hard courts, so you had an Osaka Kasatkina final in Indian Wells. You had the Stevens Ostapenko final in Miami. I don't think either match will go down as classics, but they they talk to an emerging younger generation. Um, Ostapenko obviously is the Roland Garros. Uh, champion and will be there to to try and defend her crown. Um, Muguruza is someone who hasn't shown up so far in 2018, but if she goes on a run, uh, would be very dangerous. So I think it's wide open on on the WTA side, as it is on the uh, ATP side, if you take Nadal, a healthy Nadal, out of the equation. And and to me, I think that both tours are moving into a period not unlike where we were in in 2003 or so, uh, at least on the men's side, perhaps a little bit later on the women's side, but you've got uh, new players coming through and, and you know potentially a big shakeup coming. Nobody's yet really been able to establish dominance on the women's side if you take Serena Williams out of the equation. No, I think it's a pretty accurate assessment. Uh, I don't uh, disagree much there. Uh, definitely, uh, the women draw is uh, draws are kind of wide open, but in a, in a in a good way. That a lot of people are stepping up. Uh, like Sloane Stevens did, and uh, it's going to be interesting following, uh, you know, what the trajectory is throughout uh, the clay swings leading up to Roland Garros. And uh, talking about Nadal, of course, he's the measuring force as always. Even with a cloud of injury, you know, you cannot discount, you know, what he could do when he turns up. Uh, and um, just an interesting tidbit that you and I had spoken about earlier uh, is uh, the ranking, you know, I know it's still the first quarter is over, only three months, but if it's between Federer and Nadal, uh, this year, Roger Federer, you know, was supposedly the hands-down favorite Indian Wells in Miami, and he came up with at least 900 points less than he had last year. But interestingly, Rafa Nadal had even come up with lesser points because he's only played one tournament all year long. So uh, let's see how, you know, let's revisit this conversation. And if these are the two guys who are, 
in the mix for the number one ranking at you know uh, when we are in fall so let's see if this uh, lead in Nadal's absence uh, has can can present Federer enough points uh, to be in the conversation for the year and of course a lot of tennis has to be played and you know they both has, have to still hold serve at Roland Garros and Wimbledon to win those titles and to be you know contenders Del Potro is ranked number two so a lot can change but just something you know interesting of interest uh, to you know to remind ourselves of when that time when that time comes again right and 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 i would i would genuinely be surprised this year if nadal plays all five clay tournaments because i think he's probably going to protect his his health for roland garros uh, yes and no, but again, uh, let me ask you this. Fine, that's that's been the thing with Nadal and his fans, and even you know, a lot of people have suggested that he should, you know, take a leaf out of some, you know, scheduling book of something like Federer, maybe give up a little hair to gain a little bit in the long run. But then, is is this the most undercooked he's ever come at French Open? I mean, he's only played like five matches on the tour, so does he really need to take the time off? Because something what Federer did like a year and a half ago when he came. And he hadn't played, and he just went on. And you know, uh, he usually plays Miami, but he went on and had his best start in the last, you know, two years. So you think Nadal not having played much, uh, does he still need to, you know, tinker with the clay schedule? So the thing is that um, it's it, 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 it's not so much having um, conditioning as as really listening to his body. So he had uh, knee issues coming into the Australian Open, which uh, kept him out of some of the warm-up tournaments and complicated matters at the end of the last season. Now, that typically is less of an issue on clay. But he also, perhaps in terms of a compensation injury, had an, an issue in the upper leg and the psoas muscle. And that's something that... You know, obviously, I was much lesser athlete than Nadal, but I had that issue, that issue myself towards the end of a rugby playing career, and it 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 can actually take a long time to heal if you don't get it right. And it seemed to me that that it was something that flared up again in Acapulco, and I think Nadal is going to be very very careful managing his body leading up to the biggest tournament of the year for him. So he. This could be like 2010, where Nadal basically had to run the table in the clays to knock Federer off the, the number one ATP ranking, which he successfully did when Federer lost to Soderling in the quarterfinal, and Nadal went on to win the final and regain the number one ranking. But I, I don't think Nadal is chasing the number one ranking uh, at the moment. I think he's... He, he wants his body to be there for him in Roland Garros in the quarterfinals and beyond. So let's let's take a look at a, a couple of months from now. But if if Nadal has played three, has played two or three tournaments in the run up to Roland Garros, I won't be altogether shocked. Yeah, that'll be uh, definitely fascinating to see how this plays and. Uh... Also, to me, Nadal skipping Barcelona would be huge because he's, you know, the tournament is a lot closer to his heart and, you know, he's really done well there. So, um, I, I, again, I know there are more ranking points in Madrid, 
but uh, I, I see him skipping Madrid before he skips Barcelona. But again, uh, what do I know? Let, let's see how that plays out. Yep, agreed. All right, so Andrew, thanks for doing this. And uh, hopefully the listeners, you know, uh, have a good time listening to this podcast. And please send, send some feedback if we were off track or if we didn't cover enough or if you disagree with us. We'll be happy to hear from anyone who's listening to this podcast. Once again, thanks a lot, Andrew, for doing this such, on a, such a short notice. I know it's late, so uh, enjoy the rest of your evening and let's chat again on Twitter.